Um, yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was about to say that. Uh, when we did the first uh, LPW, the metal, mm-hmm. metal one. Yeah. Uh, no, it was actually the first BA da- uh, class. And okay. I walked in and it was, uh, I think I was a little bit, one of us was a bit late. And the other tutor came in a bit after me. And I went, right, uh, I'm Costas, that's it. Basically, all you need to know is that. And then, and then the other person came in, and I'm not going to say who, who it was, and he's like, oh, I'm this, this, and that, and I, I've worked with a Adele, uh, whatever. He's yeah, yeah, kind of threw names. a few names, and everyone was like, wow. <laughs> he's like, and then I felt like, oh my God, I didn't say anything about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but do, you, do you feel like there's a pressure to say that? Like when you're in a room full of other musicians, I, you have I, to I do a name drop? I, think it might be that yeah because every musician is like what what who i am is who i've played with yeah. and if you are in, in a room with uh, with students that they are from 18 to 20 something mm. and you want to do that so you kind of sort of dominate the room a little bit yes. there's a little bit of that of that vibe in it in a room and they sometimes listen a bit more as well like i was i was really lucky a couple of years that like my name drop is i got to do a record with tom o'dell's producer Really? Wow. Um, and then, like, you t- to be honest, like, the guys would never have heard of the producer's name or whatever. Yeah. Well, they might have done. But, like, the chances are they've heard of Tom O'Dell, and they're like, oh, now I'm going to listen to you. It's like, it doesn't make you a better teacher or something, but they suddenly just tune into it. Yeah. And instantly engage I remember with once this student goes, uh, so, Costas, have you taught any of the guys like James Bay? Because mm. they thought that he's been in London. Yeah. Uh, well, we think he was being. Brighton. Yeah, been Brighton. Yeah, been Brighton, yeah. like now. I don't remember any any sort of famous person that I've told over the years. She was so disappointed. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that like, a lot of students that they cut they, they didn't cut through being all all of these schools, you yeah. know, modern whatever, contemporary music. They do make it high like really well in the industry. Mm-hmm. But maybe they're not James Bay, right? The, the the chances of you becoming James Bay are a lot less than actually becoming a decent a sort of musician yeah, play, playing in you know big acts and big festivals I'm pretty sure there are lots of students that have made it to that mm. but they haven't become James Bay as like solo career that everyone knows you exactly. that's very rare and I, I think what these students get by the, th- the end of the third year mm-hmm. uh, that you don't have to be James Bay to be a decent musician and do this for a living yeah right yeah, that, this is so much more fulfilling this job and what you only get is that that's why X Factor is so shit. <laughs> because because basically success is is that. It's like people recognise you for what you do. But it doesn't have to be the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Like the chances of you being known to the whole world are very slim. You have to tune with something which is a little bit beyond you probably, mm-hmm. right? Tune into something yeah. that people get and and you have to be lucky. Maybe not everyone gets. For example, I remember we went out with a couple from Bangladesh, right? Okay. And we're talking about music. They know we are musicians. Me and Marius played a gig the last night. They came and had a great time. They didn't know any of the songs. Any. To the point that she, he was like, so that's so window without you. Like, we though without you? It's like, yeah, I thought it was window without you. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, so you were like, that, that's no, a, that's not... Like, so what sort of... Do you, and then I started putting out photos of my phone. I was like, do you know this guy? Michael Jackson. He's like, no. Really? Yeah, my, yeah you know, no and he knew George Harrison, obviously. Okay, yeah. Because he kind of sort of did all the 
went to India, Bangladesh, and so yeah, yeah, you know, he was into that sort of and playing sitar. So like, I know George Harrison. He kind of uh, sort of you know gave a um, he donated like one of the big because I think he was Hare Krishna or something like that. Okay. Right. So he donated a big building for for you know for yeah, the yeah. for the community and so on. So he didn't know he didn't know him because of his of his music work with music work with Beatles. Mm-hmm. But he knew him because of what he did with the religion and everything. Okay. So you see, it's like you have to tune into something bigger than you to be able to be someone who's universally. It's so crazy, like you said, like crazy. Michael Jackson's like who? Yeah, that exactly. no but idea. that's but that's humiliating. You see, I mean, that's why I think probably everyone is a little bit in the West. Everyone is a little bit, uh, a, a little bit more than the, people expect a bit more of him than actually it is. A little bit overrated, let's say. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I don't like you talking about like X Factor and like these TV talent shows and stuff. And I don't know if they just make people aim for the wrong thing. Like just because you're you are winning X Factor doesn't mean you're happy. Doesn't mean you're putting out music that is yours or that you're happy with. I mean, you yeah. probably worked like obviously with your band Jade Vine. Yeah. When you put albums out in the past, like, have you worked with an outside producer or? And like, well, you know, we worked. Yes, we worked with Danny Kavanagh from Anathema. Okay. And he. I think he was he was producing bands at that point of his career, and he uh, we approached him. I approached him, sent him an email. It's like I'm, I'm this, this, and that. I'm interested in having lessons because he was like I could, we could have lessons of production and arrangement. I'm like that would be interesting because mm. I could get because we were in that, into that style of that that you know that sort of period. Uh, we were writing something which was not alternative rock, which was not prog, which was not. Like a little niche. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Albums, yeah. And, and the anathema were uh, from. I didn't hear too much of these of, of their material, but the stuff that I had heard before, it was around along those lines. I thought like, that would be interesting. Actually, meet up with a guy, see, check my materials, tell me what he thinks. Yeah, yeah. And then have a lesson with him. Sort of, you know, pay him by the hour. And sort of, you know, tell me, oh, this is shit. You should be doing it like that. So, <laughs> and then when he heard our songs, he went, right. I don't think you need. You guys need lessons, but you. You could probably benefit from a production point of view, and as we all know, a producer is not only the guy who kind of you have in the studio and goes right. Could you? Could we get that sound from the amp? And maybe we should do that. And maybe we should do that, and modifies the general sound and everything. But as the songwriter, producer as well, yeah, that kind of helps with the songwriting, the arrangements. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do probably with the sound that's coming out, apart from pointers. Yeah. So that that was his job basically. Okay. Like he didn't even come once in the studio. All he all he we did was like Skype meetings and a couple of face to face meetings. Okay. We listened to the material, supervised, said this passage works here, this one doesn't work here. Okay. Uh, maybe you should do this, maybe that lyric there, that sort of thing. So it was more so it was like um it was more like a creative Yeah. Um uh sort of guidance he gave you rather than like you said, being in the studio and they're like Nah, maybe you should use this kind of overdrive pedal. It's like that's not important. Like, yes, yeah. you know, as you said, that's it's, it's it, more yeah. songwriting. I don't think he's that guy anyway. I think he does it for his band, but he he didn't want to dominate that part of it. And probably he was too busy as well being with us in the studio. Yeah. So that he took this kind of role and it helped us a lot. He didn't change much really from all, but the ideas that he kind of pointed out and obviously the way that he then with his name on the album and the the context, you know. 
yeah, press yeah. and everything that he gave to the album that was pretty cool because then obviously like the, the audience that follows him yeah if he starts going hey you know i've just worked with this band jade vine then suddenly all those eyes are on yeah, you strict. he gave us a couple of support slots in greece as well oh cool but they're massive in greece okay that's why marius knew them and then i found out oh so that's that. how you got the connection yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. you're tracing it back to greece yeah oh, so okay, the, cool. and they are from liverpool and um <laughs> Yeah, they're massive though in Greece and Europe in general, but they're not big. Well, they're still relatively big here, like playing venues like the Coco. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuff like that, like, I don't know what's the capacity of this, like a couple of thousand, maybe? Something like that, yeah. Coco, yeah, it's about the size of what, the O2? The O2, maybe, or Shepherd's Bush, maybe? No, Shepherd's Bush, maybe, it's a bit bigger. Yeah, Yeah. but it's around like a couple of thousand venues, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so kind of helped in that sense and the promotion of the the album, because. I think that's very important, man. I mean, the second album that we did, we did with a, we, we couldn't do it with Danny. Okay. For uh, several reasons, we couldn't do it with him. So we, uh, we landed a deal with a small record label, the worst thing we could have ever have done to really? ourselves. Yeah, it didn't go well. Uh, basically, they didn't promote the album to the right places, maybe, or maybe at all, really. Because there were more, there, were, there was a new label that wanted to sign us, essentially. Mm-hmm. So signed the act and a few other acts, and then they didn't really look into what market they could put us in, and they were signing more like heavy rock metal bands. Okay. And we weren't that. So like even reviews, I remember getting reviews from some sort of metal magazines. Obviously, this is not a metal album. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but we did get reviews from prog rock and classic rock that were great reviews. Mm-hmm. But that's where they should be. They should be pushing the album towards. We did that because of the contents we had before, okay. but because they had, it was completely rubbish and it didn't happen really for us. So we've been waiting with Jane Vine to get out of a contract uh, for four years. Is that what you, because I was just about to ask like what you're doing next, like if you've got a new album in the work on your material, but you've just been waiting to write this contract uh, down? No, I mean, Marius and I are always writing. We have yeah. like, I don't know how many songs. But the, the thing is that a uh, waiting for, we couldn't release anything as Jane Vine anymore because we didn't want to do, we want to work with them. Okay. anymore and we weren't we weren't that sort of uh, we didn't want to sort of go to court with them yeah. let's say right a lot, a, bands did, a lot of bands did and they asked us to go with them we thought we thought that probably would be pushing a lot of things would be would be causing more traumatic experience for us mm. so we kind of it kind of served the purpose as well that i became a new daddy and you know, I wasn't really writing at that moment, or I was not able to do too much, really. So you just took a step back so from still, that? Yeah, we okay. took, took a step back. Now we're out of it. Obviously, we're writing some stuff, but I don't know if we're going to ever gonna go back into the studio. Because, uh, to be fair, it's a bit expensive. Yeah. It's a bit expensive. And the way we did albums was the traditional way. I just think you did albums with your band before. Yeah. Uh, and it was getting to the studio uh, with a producer. Mm-hmm. And a um, book studio, do all the recording in the studio, right? And then promote the album and then go out on tour. Yeah. Right? And that was financially sort of. Yeah, because you've got to make that money back and obviously uh, record sales. Never, and never, you never make that money back. Basically, you kind of invest, you invest in loss mm-hmm. in a way. <laughs> you can say that. You invest in loss and you see, because um, you believe in music and believe you can actually relate to more people with your music and mm-hmm. so on. But then it becomes exhausting financially, especially, course, yeah. yeah, and Babis and I and Marius, until Marius became a family guy as well, it was, uh, our goal was uh, at the same time being surviving musicians. We didn't want to do anything else. 
just be musicians. Just be musicians. Yeah. So uh, because we've done so many jobs, mm. other jobs, up to the point where we we just surviving with music, we do want to go back to that. Okay. When you've done that, you're like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> I'd rather do that. And I, we always been session and um, function guys mm -hmm. as well. So we've been playing at some point. We're playing four or five gigs a week. Yeah, uh, that's exhausting. It's exhausting. Wow. Playing Masling Sally. I personally didn't never play that song, but you never. Played I played. I played. No, I didn't. But I played like Sweet Home Alabama. It's the same. Okay. But, uh, I enjoyed those gigs, but maybe we've all been done it. Yeah. On the flip side, we couldn't have done anything else. So what you got to do well, to survive, Tesco's or Sainsbury's, it wasn't for us. We, no. didn't, we didn't come here. If, if I wanted to actually uh, work in Sainsbury's, Tesco could do it in Greece. Mm. Much better weather. Exactly. Yeah, right. So you <laughs> might as well just go here and do music. it. Exactly. Yeah. So might as well do that. So the reason that we didn't go full on into into that was the that we wanted to work as musicians mm. and not chase the American dream of making it as a, as a, as do you a, think it exists anymore? I don't, I don't have any personal examples. The only friend that I have that he does that from his original music is Dan Ford from, yeah. uh, from Sixth. Okay, yeah, of course. That's the only person I know. And every time we go out, you know, every time we happen to have a pint or whatever, he was, I'm always like, you're a hero, man. He's <laughs> yeah. the only one I know personally. We know people on, on you know, online. We see people that they do big things and they, you know, but, I've never, I've never had a friend or someone or acquaintance that really made it in that, you know, to that level. Mm -hmm. Yes, we had gigs, you know, we had guys that have got gigs and girls that got gigs, like big, like playing with this guy or this guy mm -hmm. and this yeah. guy. But that was just as a side. Exactly. Yeah. Not the person that like made a band and made it. Yeah. I mean, and especially band, come on. Yeah. Well, what are the chances? I know, with Dan, and it's not like you're just, um, you're, I don't know, you're playing guitar for... I don't know, Janet Jackson or Bonnie Tyler or something. Yeah. And it's like, of course, that's cool, but that's been a session guy. Yeah. But like Dan and his band Sick, like I think like, supported Slipknot. They're just like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Slipknot and uh, Mastodon and uh, they just played last year and uh, where, where, where was the thing in, in Malaysia or Philippines? I can't remember. Yeah, just all over the world. Original yeah, music. For, in front of 100,000 people. Wow. wow. It's like something massive. I think yeah. they supported Slayer. <laughs> Something like that. It's crazy. It's crazy. It? So, when you do shows like that, yeah, fair enough. Mm. But he's the only one I know. Yeah. And and I and I and I know that you know it's hard to have that. He's told me that it's a hard job. It's not an easy job. Still at this point. Okay. What hard to for them to keep going? Or? Yeah, yeah, to keep going because it's a to keep going. It's like to produce an album to go out and the run and financially be stable and so on and so on. You need other things. I know Dan is teaching as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and other people do production and sort of. And that, side that's another thing that students realize, and I mean I've realized that as a student that they there's not only one income for the musician. You could do a lot of things. Yeah. Right. Some other people are really good at breaking down like Dan, breaking down stuff that he's doing and his technique is solid. So you can teach that. Yeah. Some other people don't feel safe doing that, but they can produce mm -hmm. either as songwriters or you know as production and so before. Or some other people they go in uh, and do master classes. Yeah. Uh, some other people get into I don't know. You name it. Record just recordings. Other people do just sessions. Like there's always stuff to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, magazines, uh, you know, sort of articles. Like a lot of people from the you know they write for guitar techniques, for example. Yeah. You know, like or you gotta have a sideline, haven't you? Exactly. Yeah. Playing. I think I was talking to Dave Browning about this, and he's playing like 
bearing in mind, you know, he can play everything. Yeah, drums, piano, a bass. Apart from a uh, high to hell, because <laughs> we we played uh, we played last a couple of years ago. Um, in in a pub, uh-huh. and it was just one of these gigs that. Hugh, Hugh Neal goes, I'm going to play in this gig, you want to come along? Okay. And I arrive at the gig and another two guys are there and one of them is Dave. Okay. Right, I didn't know he was going to be there. And another one, it was Chris, Chris Webb, great player. Okay, so it was Dave on drums? Dave basically. on drums. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, we, solid player, so yeah. everyone is playing, we, we haven't rehearsed, we've just been there. Like, yeah. yeah. And we play songs and then at some point I'm like, let's play something rocky, let's play an ACDC song, let's play Higher Than Hell. It's like, how does that go? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he played slightly funky as well, which was great. But you, him and Chris didn't know the song. Yeah, it's so weird, but it's your upbringing, man. I mean, that was like, That's the it. Highway to Hell album was like one of the first albums I had. Yeah. Like 10 years old or something. I remember like looking through all the lyrics and stuff and just like putting it on. Still played it great, though. Yeah. Like, that's, how, that's how you... But it's funny how you... Like you're talking about someone not knowing Michael Jackson earlier and there's always like gaps in our knowledge. Yeah. And it's like, you know this person? You're like, wait, who? Yeah. And they're like, you don't know that person? It's yeah. Like, to you, he's like, ah. Yeah. Right, but the yeah, but you were saying about Dave that you did on the. What was he saying? Oh, yeah. He, like, you know, because he plays everything. He knows a lot of musicians. And he was saying he doesn't know, apart from maybe a couple of West End guys, mm. everybody he knows either teaches a bit or does sessions or does, like he said, writes for guitar magazines or yeah. does something, but just to purely be playing. Like in twenty twenty, it's 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 almost impossible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's not like I mean the drum teacher I grew up with, like who he taught me, he was a player back in the sixties when he was he was like a teenager in the sixties. So he would finish a day at high school, and then they'd like you know go go all around the UK in half term and and everything else. And he was just like yeah, but he was like I wasn't everyone did it. Yeah, it was just what you did. Even as a someone who was going to high school, he was getting four gigs a week. Yeah. At like 16 years old, but it was the 60s. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right? But like 2020, like that's... Very difficult, man. Especially in a place like London. I, I suppose when your rent is so high up, you've got to be... Yeah. You've got to be doing a lot of things. They say you can't do just one thing. No, so. definitely. Well, like obviously, like I'm with Sam, a music school now, at JCM. I mean, how long have you... Uh, been... 10 years now. Okay. So this was something you founded? We founded... We, yeah, we founded this school. We founded this school with Marius, my mm-hmm. brother. Uh, it was uh, it was another school before, okay. and a it fell apart. I think the guy disappeared overnight. So okay. basically, we're teaching. I have like three days, and uh, just about Mar- I introduced Marius into that. Said to Marius, Marius was doing other jobs. It's like, why don't you try teaching? It's like, yeah, I'm one of these musicians. I probably don't have it in me. I don't. I'm not that confident in that. Like you, you know that you can start teaching beginners, right? And you're not gonna go into a class and like do a degree or something like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I've never thought about it because everyone thinks about it like that. And I, so he go into teaching himself, and then maybe a year in, uh, half of my income maybe is from this guy more at that point. And I, all of a sudden, I get a phone call and and from another girl, piano player. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you know that he's disappeared. I'm like, no. <laughs> Because I was there yesterday. It's like, yeah, if you go today, the whole building is empty. There's nothing in there, apart from the grand piano you couldn't take out. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, the, the guy was in, in serious debt. He went into liquidation and then just disappeared. Oh, with, the, with the wages of a term. 
So you haven't paid us for three months or something like that, two and a half months, whatever it was, that term, eight weeks, I think. Mm. The term that goes from September to December. And they disappeared without a job now, thinking, oh, what's happening? Luckily, I had kept contacts with all my students. Oh, okay, cool. Right? And the same Marius and the same uh, Janet at that point. Mm. Hence, Janet, Marius, Costas, is JCM. That's why. Right, oh, okay, that's right, that's well, nice. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, the name, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we thought the three of us, since we had so many students, like what if we started a school? And that's how we did it. Mm -hmm. And for a few years until recently, Janet was part of the school, but then she she lived in Epsom, which is the other end. Long words coming out. Yeah, exactly. She became a mummy and she's like, I'm going to teach from Epsom, you guys <laughs> can teach from here. And uh, so J we kept her and we kept the name, obviously, JCM, because we've been here such a long time. And we, we've got now maybe more than 120 maybe students, maybe wow. more. Yeah. That's a lot. Just building it from the ground up again. That's yeah, yeah. We built it up from there. And obviously we had the help of friends as well, like babies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coming in and starting from zero students and getting it up. Cool. You know, to whatever, two, two full days or maybe two and a half days. And then retail, the same thing that we started quite early, starting with a few students and now being here almost full time. And everyone basically basically was like friends mm -hmm. and doing this nice. and they helped a lot man yeah so what are you teaching here now so you've got vocals uh, guitar all the contemporary stuff yeah, yeah. we don't do violins and stuff like that because mm -hmm. it's a you rarely get a student and we can't bring a tutor in just for one person exactly yeah, yeah. but we a lot of times like it's students no students teachers that they want to teach violin or whatever we keep them on our contact list okay. and then if they if someone gives us a call we just Pass it on without, without any ties, really. Just, you know, oh, there is a tutor like that, but we can't help you. You can't teach from our parents because just one student. Okay. And it's, he'd rather do it in, you know, uh, in private and make, like, more money mm -hmm. than actually come here and work for us just for an hour and then, you know. But you can make the connections and at least... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up at least partner. we can go, right, there is a guy who teaches violin around the corner. You can yeah, yeah, look yeah. for him and that's his number. That's but I'm sure they do that to you as well, though, because if... I know someone's playing violin, but I, you know what, I want to learn guitar. Yeah. And we're like, hey, you go to JCM. And yeah, it absolutely. works both ways. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like a, what is it called? A mutual kind of, sort of respect and help. Scratch um, my back, I scratch exactly, yours. Exactly, yours, yeah. But most of the, we never advertised for the school, never. All the way through all these years. I think we advertised once or twice. Uh, it's all word of mouth. All our clientele is word mm -hmm. of mouth. So one comes, brings another customer, another customer. And it just grows and grows and grows and for the past like four years I think four or five years that uh, the last three years probably that Janet left we were running in full capacity okay like to the point that students would come in and we're like we need to get another room but to get another room is very difficult because music that's another thing probably musicians need to know is when you want to start working in this model of work uh, you need to find the right premises, mm -hmm. and music probably is the one of the of the most difficult um, premises to find. If you want to use the premises for music, it's difficult to find. Just because you make noise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. So you can't use office space. No. We've done that, and we fail miserably. Uh, you, it's it's very very difficult. You find buildings that are a little bit sketchy. Let's say we left from the building because we saw a crack. Jesus. at some point and you know to move and maybe you move as we moved we were kind of like you move from there to there mm. but if you moved a little bit out 
you lose so many customers. Because it's within like a two mile radius or whatever, and that's yeah. like they go to school up the street. This was school the actually in the whole, in the whole whatever, maybe five miles. Oh really? Yeah. So people actually travel to come here as well? They? Uh, they do travel from some other areas, but what I was trying to say is like, it's very so difficult to set up a school like that, that no one wants to do it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Bear in mind that if you start a class, you have to, to you can't start it with one person. Yeah. Right, so you can't bring a tutor in. Uh, oh, Just you go to one student. Yeah. You could have a full day of teaching, and mm. when you when you want to do that, it's you, tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unless you have friends to help you and you don't mind, or the locals. And go, yeah, of course. Instead of working in Sainsbury's, I go like five pounds an hour, whatever they are, eight pounds. Then you come down, you make like twenty five, thirty pounds an hour. Yeah. And I go, yeah, that's good. I'll do that because it's well paid. At the end. No, definitely, and that that was such a big thing for me as well because. When I started teaching, and like you said, you're only like 20, 25, 30 pounds an hour. Like, okay, well, this would have been four or five hours work working in a bar job or Sainsbury's or something, but you can actually just teach your instrument. Like you said, and it doesn't have to be degree level, it can just be someone who, yeah. it's like, you know, never picked up a guitar in their life. And you can sit with them and be like, this is how, I don't know what the first thing you teach people on guitar normally is, but. The names of the strings. <laughs> is that what you go for? Yeah. Okay. From really beginnings, like, this is the guitar, this is how you hold it, is our names of the strings. Then we assess it a little bit fast, uh, once they read them, and what's the melody, sort of, you know, pitch perception, mm-hmm. let's say, and if the are, they, if the, if those, if those work, mm-hmm. we'll go right and have someone who can actually do music. It's very difficult to teach someone who doesn't have rhythm, yeah. right, if you, if you become a student, you're a drummer. It's tough. It's really difficult, you can't teach a singer if, if easily, you know, if they can't. If they don't hit the notes, really, even if they're kids sometimes. Have you turned students away? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, because it's, it's a waste of time for them and a lot of money wasted mm-hmm. for them. It's better if you be harsh at the beginning rather than actually five years down the line, why can I not sing well? Yeah. Oh, that is, I'm talent left. You know, pe- people it's take it to heart and probably remember you for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So that guy is supposed to be you know, But... I save you time. And your money. And your money, <laughs> for sure. Oh, your mum's money. Yeah, your mum's money. money. Uh, people want. Yeah, I understand the... I, I'm, I believe that music education is the most important than anything aspect, any other aspect of music. Okay. I can explain it. I can get into examples of you know, why I believe that. Yeah, but, go for it. But... Uh, and I understand that a lot of people want to learn uh, music, play musical instrument, learn music. But if... You are one of those, one in a million, I don't know what is that percentage, that you can't do it, mm. you're trying to do something else. Yeah, you just want to learn earlier that's, on. That's it's not for you yeah. go play sports or whatever it is. Find what you're good at. Yeah, and to an extent, that kind of that goes to musicians as well, in general, that if you, it's, it's a different thing to be good, it's a different thing to be exceptionally good. It's mm. a different thing. So, there are certain levels, and some people go... Uh, right, my mum didn't uh, didn't let me to do it. Didn't let me become a singer because uh, they wanted something a little bit more, sort of you know, like become a doctor, for mm-hmm. example. Okay. Uh, and maybe that's not necessarily too bad, really, for some for some people because it kind of yes, it's a different thing to wa- I wanted it so much. It doesn't have to do with that. Yes, of course, you dedicated, you can put in the work, but if the ability is not there. Perhaps you're spending your time and suddenly become really, really mediocre, mm. and, ha- and 
and makes your life miserable in the end if mm. you're not having any success in that. Yeah. And by success, I don't mean as we go back to that, like people knowing you, but making this like your everyday life. I think that's what success is, right? In in a particular in this particular profession, it's like making music your everyday life yeah. in whatever whatever sense. That's success. No, definitely. Me. And you get it's. I think the happiness that that brings as well, because yeah. if you're doing music full time or part time, whatever it is, but you're doing it and you get that kind of success, yeah, feels great. But if you're miserable, what was the point in doing it in the first place? Maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. With the education, the one I was telling, I was talking before, was that the perspective that you start doing music by becoming someone like you know, mm. uh, all this, uh, the flashy part of being a musician, let's say, is a is great, fantastic. Uh, but as you see, we we live in in, in ages where uh, dark ages, essentially where it's not part of our culture anymore. Listening to music and sort of recognizing music is something quite expendable. It's a it's 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 like a it's something that some people listen a lot to a lot more music, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not musically educated, are they? And you can see that from the level of new of, of the average music that is out there. Mm -hmm. Right when you when when the society is musically educated, then the level of musicianship is higher. So the expect the expectation from the artist is bigger. Therefore, the quality of art is bigger. Okay. Because no, absolutely. So we, if a public is in the know of um, you know yeah, it's it's I know it's difficult to find an example of that, but I know what you mean. Like they yeah. have a higher expectation exactly of what they want from yeah. The if you, for example, that. lived in a period of you know Renaissance, for example, in Italy, mm -hmm. right, and you were painting, you were a painter, I'm pretty sure you would quit quite fast if you weren't as good as uh, Michelangelo and you know all the big names and yeah. Da Vinci, for example. You would be like, right, I get it. That's what it should be in standard. You know what I mean? Definitely. This, this is this is not like something random as may people think. Many people might might think it's not that all of a sudden these great talents emerge from a certain part of the earth where the open the eyes for the rest of the world. It's not like that. It came, they came out of a is a cause and consequence, right? They came out of a society which actually was promoting this 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 kind of art, this level of art, and all of a sudden up in their games over time, all the time, and the time they achieve something which is massive, like producing someone like Leonardo da Vinci or whatever. Yeah. The same with science, the same with this, with this and that. And that comes from education. When education is not just, you know, uh, when universities are not shopkeepers, basically, <laughs> and schools, yeah. uh, but it's part of the culture. You hear it in everyday life. You go out, instead of hearing something really cheap pop song, you're hearing something like, I don't know, like a classical piece yeah. in, a, in the shop, right? When you're drinking your coffee, that makes, you know, but to play that, you it's like, it's something mutual, right? You have to be educated to appreciate that and wanting that and back, and so there is a market for that and people can actually invest in sort of learning that and being able to produce it in that way. So and that only can happen through education. So. Snob, the, most most musicians, I mean, imagine now those that are not musicians, they go, right, you teaching? As if it's the last resort. It's like, if I can't do anything else, I'll teach. I'll just teach, yeah. Right. But it isn't that, is it? It's not at all, man, because it, it's, 
I remember reading at some point that in uh, societies like, let's say, ancient Greece or uh, or Egypt, let's say, in all the big big civilizations of the past, music was as was one of the sciences you needed to know. Mm. Yeah. Need to be able to appreciate it in order to be able to move up and do this and do this and do this and sort of you know, which means that it was more. And then back in the day, there were not famous people getting paid for that. There were famous people, but not as we know them today. Mm. It wasn't about that. It was actually about the actual sort of you know uh, quality of life. Okay. Yeah. That's what it is. It was like a status thing as well, I suppose, wasn't it? And, ha and being able to converse about music and I don't know. Would you say it was a like maths, right? Maths. Without maths, you can't do anything. Yeah. Essentially, you needed to know how to do, to do maths, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think Plato had uh, in his academy like this big sign before you. Uh, that who doesn't know maths shouldn't enter. Okay. Right. You shouldn't be a student here, <laughs> and he would be teaching all sort of stuff in the academy. Right, but if you didn't know maths, you weren't allowed to actually enter. Okay, it was like the master. That was the thing. Yeah, thing, yeah, music and art in general, not just music, because music is always a little bit more like cinema nowadays. It's like a little bit more in 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 you know a bit more common, and people cannot appreciate, let me say, painting as much as they. The people don't have opinions about singers and guitar players, but they can't have a an opinion about let's say. A, a painting. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that common. So how do you find, so obviously, you know, to improve the quality of music out there, you got to educate society. How do you think is the best way? To educate the society? Yeah. That's a very good question, actually. I haven't thought about it. No, I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question. Well, it's not a one-word answer. Well, it? that goes back to, if you want to change the system, you shouldn't change it from the inside. I don't believe the system change from the inside. Okay. Because I hear from a lot of people, I want to be part of the system so I can change it. I want to be a successful person in the music business so I can change the music business. And change. No, the business works exactly because the business as it works. It doesn't need you to go in there, make money so you can change it. Then you become Bono, where <laughs> you have millions in the bank or Hetfield and you can give like half a million to Australia that is burning, mm. right? No, this is not how you change the world. You don't, you don't, you don't sort of cure the problem from from the the say from the from the beginning. You don't assess, you don't sort of assess, but you don't uh, hit the root of the problem. Let's say you don't solve the problem from it. You just solve a small part of the problem, like a lot of charities, for example. Mm -hmm. But they don't. If you don't change the system, you just it's like you having a room full of water. And thousand holes, and you just close one hole. Obviously, you get water. It's like, yeah, I close that, I close that. <laughs> and always, and, and it's always the problem is always there. If you want to change the system, you have to really change it, mm. like break it down and build it up again. It's been that vision, right. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and that goes back, 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 back. After a lot of thought, that we have wrong model for a lot of things, and a. The wrong model is that we, the educational system, is based on exchange of money. Because mm -hmm. if, if I want us to get paid for teaching you, I can't break the system now, I'm part of the system, right? Okay, yeah. But in an ideal system, the, the country 
whatever you want to call it, if you want a country or, I don't know, what it could be, the establishment, whatever establishment people have decided to have for in an organised society, should be taking care of that part. Mm. So you and me don't have to be behaving as client and shopkeeper. Okay. So completely Because changes. by the time we are shopkeepers and clients, then it's all destroyed. It's already too late, so it's you've got trade. to change it before it's it. It's a trade. Okay. I need you and you need me. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I need you probably more. That's my client. Because you've got to rely on can't disappoint you. For your, well, but you got, and the thing is, if you do disappoint them, you're just going to go to the next tutor, exactly. the next exactly. music school. Whatever. Now, by, by, by that time, you actually do everything. You want it or not, for survival reasons or whatever, mm -hmm. because you are part of this. You either do it or you don't do it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it's based on that, then it's the same with governments. Like, how can you expect the government to actually do something uh, revolutionary if they are actually funded? Their clientele is the one that makes them kind of good. It's, it's almost like, I don't know, even if we were friends, if we were funding me to actually operate here in the school, right? At the end of the day, if you went like, you're not making me any money, I'm going to drop you. That's how it would be, because we are clients. That's exactly what's happening there. These guys can't do anything. People getting stuck to faces like, uh, I don't know, today is Theresa May, tomorrow is going to be Boris. Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow, uh, it's, what's his name, Trump, or whatever, yeah. right? It has nothing to do with these guys. These guys are expendable with this system. They believe they're big, but they're not. The system is... Is very is much bigger than them, right? They always change. It's just now because they are they do look very stupid and they are probably. Mm -hmm. uh, people are getting even more annoyed yeah. that the game has reached this point where people can go look. We actually can do whatever we want with even this idiot being your prime minister. Yeah. And that's what well <laughs> that's what's the, what's the game now. But I think it's that clientele like. Countries are shopkeepers, mm -hmm. and sh big shops basically, mm -hmm. and everyone else is a client. Uh, you want to become citizen of the UK, pay us like £1,500 and maybe we'll give you, after an assessment, this passport. You've got to pay for it. You've got to pay for it, yeah, exactly. It, it's crazy when you look into those costs. Yeah. It's the same with like Australia, I've got friends who have sort of done the um, like partnership visa, so like they want to I think after this podcast, probably I'm going to receive a letter of, of, of getting out. <laughs> get out! Get out! Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. Like you know, I'll send you a podcast on a plane. You can listen fine, to it. That's, that's, fine. that's why I'm saying it. So you know, these are my opinions. Maybe they're a little bit. I don't know. But I remember Marius and I. We've been. You, Marius was watching this. He took it to me actually. He's like, uh, what's his name? Corbin. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think the same with Sanders in the States. Uh, he was on... Uh, was it Sanders or Saunders? I can't remember. Anyway, Saunders. one of the candidates in yeah. the States. Saunders, yeah, in the States. And he was, he was on Joe Rogan. And he went, why well, we want to make a... Like, as we have NHS here, we want to do the same in the States. Okay. And people were like, how are you going to put that rational thought into... Like, since when, you know, taking care of the basics of, of a civil... Basic civilization, yeah, the system should be taking care of accommodation and health and education. These three things. If you can't provide me that, these three things, why then should I come to your shop and leave there? Why should, you know, I, pay, why should I pay taxes? Exactly. Why should, yeah. why, why should, I mean, you can't. I, I sort of die on the street if I don't have, like, 
a really well-paid job that provides me medical cover. Mm -hmm. I could uh, literally be homeless next day, although I've been working all my life. Yeah, that's what all of my say. life. Yeah, and they, I'm really uneducated at the same time because I don't have fifty k in the bank to actually go one year in Berkeley and learn about music. Yeah, see what I mean? It's like it's insane. No, and, absolutely. Yeah, I and agree. For, and for those reasons, I've sort of you know I've gave up politics. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like um, sort of? Oh man, I've got so many questions I could go with with this now. So it. Is that like part of a reason that you ended up kind of leaving Greece though? Because of like a political No, that was, I couldn't or? understand that was back in the day uh, so much. Although I grew up in a very strong political environment because of my mum and my dad, they were really uh, sort of, uh, my, especially my dad had such a, um, he was, he, he just could see what was the real problem and not, and not what is the after effect of the problem. Okay. Like for example, when when we we talked about that before, when you see racism, right? Mm, yeah. And you like and the 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 sort of move the problem between you and me and why they should have solved it from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, with legislation, with uh, with uh, rational thinking and logic, mm -hmm. right? This place can only take five people. It's like an elevator. Yeah. If it takes ten, it will sink. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sort of or. Yes, we can have these people or whatever or whatever and taking care of those people so they're equal with the people that live in that country. That sort of thing. But this is rational thinking again, it's not common sense anymore. That so I grew up in an environment that was promoting that sort of that sense of thought. And that's why I did music as well, because I, I while I was good in school, mm -hmm. uh, what I loved was music. So the encouragement was like you've got to do what you love. And that was how you found passion and then Yeah. You, of course, and then I found a couple of girlfriends, of course, you know, and maybe like, I'm nobody, when I play guitar, I can, I can get a couple yeah. of girlfriends, so yeah, probably I keep doing that. A little epiphany yeah. when it, it was, oh, wait, it was my question. social, yeah, or whatever, or my political thoughts, uh, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager and made me choose music as a path, but I could sense that, uh, but the thought that you have, you know, when you exaggerate, when you're a kid, you like, uh, you when you're in high school, you go, you definitely leave you think it's the end of the world. Yeah. Like uh -huh. you play guitar, you think you're on top of the world. That's the thing. I couldn't imagine myself doing something for the rest of my life mm. that it wouldn't be music. It's got to, yeah. It's got to be something like music that I could be able to do when I was 70 or yeah, 40 or 30 with the same kinds of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I die, uh, I wouldn't be sorry. Yeah, you live at how you, oh, you live. Oh shit, yeah. Spent all my life in an office. Oh, wait, what if I'd have done this and you're like, yeah? You yeah, look back well, well, if I wanted to live, I'm not saying that office music, you know, office is, is inferior to music. Just saying, but if I wanted to be in an office, I'd be happy. You go be in an office. I didn't yeah. want to be. Yeah, it's fair. So I mean, I wanted to play guitar. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's it. And, and maybe, yeah, nowadays, if you ask me, I would like to be a dentist, but. Because I went to the dentist this morning and he charged me so much. I'm like, oh, shit, I should have been a dentist. Pick the wrong job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I picked the wrong job. But, you know, uh, but then I told him that. And he's like, really? You want to show up for a month? I'm like, uh, maybe not. No. <laughs> yeah, but so everyone thinks like that after, after you know. Is it uh, Roger Taylor from Queen? He was training to be a dentist, wasn't he? Was he? 
Roger Taylor, yeah. Well, they talk about him in the Yeah, I know, right? Well, because the name. be a bad dentist, now. The name of. Uh, before they were called Queen, the name of the band was called Smile, and his drum kit used to have teeth with big, big smile. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Which I gotta love that he put a little bit of dentistry. I, don't, I didn't know that. Into no, his drum really. kit. <laughs> it's like so cheesy. But I mean, man, And I, dentist, I mean, especially for his. I obviously don't know him. But I get the feeling that he's a really upbeat person. Uh, Not the person you put in a corner and stay silent. That he gives me that that kind of vibe. That kind of vibe. And I think that's probably not good when you're a dentist. No. I guess you've got to be quite serious. <laughs> yeah, when quite you're... sort of relaxed and <laughs> really near soft touch soft touch while Taylor Robbins is drunk. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so definitely not a dentist. But anyway, yeah, that's that's the that's the thing. So me going into music was more like the thought. The exaggerated thought of oh my god, mm. this is what I pick now is for the rest of my life. I'd rather do that. Yeah, yeah, man. I have the same experience, and I remember being like eleven years old and having my first drum lesson, and that was when it it really hit me when I was like, man, okay, so this is like you said, this is the rest of your life in yeah. some way. It's got to be music, whether it's even just like podcasting, talking about music, or playing it, or teaching it, or just going yeah. back to what you said earlier, like you know. To just to solely be a performer in this day and age is it's next to impossible yeah. unless you're maybe not even if it's got anything to do with talent just you need to be incredibly lucky but you, yeah. it has to be related to music in some way or some capacity it's just it's that creative yeah, and if you like doing it for the next 40 years or 50 years then man, that's it that's the thing I remember seeing um, an interview with Jim Carrey and he was saying um, his dad never wanted to be an accountant um, and then, but he got forced into it, and then he got to like mid fifties, and he got uh, sacked. He, yeah, he got sacked, and then his dad was like, "You might as well try and do something you love because you can fail at something you don't love as well." That's pretty good. Yeah, that's the best example. That's exactly spot on what we've been talking about. Because he lived that life, his dad, and he didn't want his son to be the same. And Jim Carrey is is, is a very insightful person as well. He kind of went into this uh, um, side of things where. He kind of got really, really um, spiritual, I think, at some yeah. point, right? Because he, he couldn't handle what happened to him in terms of success. And and, a, and he's almost like a philosopher nowadays. Like You hear him talking like, oh, my God. Yeah, man. Really, really sort of, you know. Because he did the... Uh, what interesting was, guy. What, what was the movie? The um, Man on the Moon. Like he did it. He played a Andy and, Kaufman. That's a Andy Kaufman. Have you watched the documentary about it? Was it Becoming Andy or something it's called? And he's like talks about when he's with a family and they like gave him Andy's old converse. People started sort of losing it because of his behaviour. He was Andy. Yeah. This guy, he's a method method actor, I suppose. He was so underrated before that because everyone just saw him as the funny guy in in The Mask or Ace Ventura or or whatever it was. And then it's like, no, this is like, he's a legitimate... Yeah, he's, he's, he's a gangster, you know, yeah, he's really talented, this guy. Like, you see even his impersonations and everything, like, the way that he does stuff. He, like, oh, I'm going to do Jack Nicholson, and he looks, he's Jack Nicholson. Kind of yeah, guy, definitely. So, like, well, like, he's saying, well, saying, like, talking about schools and stuff, because he was saying, like, with Jim Carrey, when he was a kid, he would, instead of practicing his, his math homework or something, he would just do funny faces in the mirror. And then he get into trouble in school the next day, but he can make a whole class laugh, and that meant more to him yeah. than you know doing whatever subject it was. Um, but it's funny, like talking about like method acting, and obviously he just 
completely changed. And I think it's the same with music when you get, like we said just before we started recording, about like addictive personalities and people fall down that route of whether yeah. it's drugs or alcohol or any kind of narcotics and it's pretty scary, man. It's pretty scary. Yeah, it's yeah. ruined a lot of a lot of lives. But I think in general, like we know the stories of these people obviously because they are in the spotlight, but how many accountants perhaps ruined their lives because of that, you know, there mm. are there are addictive personalities everywhere. Now with Facebook and Instagram and all that, you can see that a lot more people that are around they have these problems, but they're not rock stars. Everyday people. Yeah, yeah but we, we wouldn't have known before. We all know Jim Morrison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But right. maybe we don't know uh, his friend and he grew up together and had exactly the same problems, but he wasn't Jim Morrison. Uh, so um, all I'm trying to say is like in music, this problem is a little bit exaggerated. Mm. Nowadays, probably you find more people, more people having problems with addiction outside the music business than actually in the music business. Because to be fair, to be, be able to produce music nowadays, uh, and survive, man. You have to be really good. You can't, you can't afford to be actually high all the time. Yeah. Unless you, unless you, you are one of these one in a million that you be, you tuned in, mm -hmm. became massive, uh, massively successful and financially safe, and you, you just do your life. But if you want to perform at the, you know, Royal Albert Hall, mm -hmm. so you sort of, you know, holding the guitar next to Jimmy Page, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, you should be practicing hours. Yeah, for that. you can't be Jimmy Page. No. Yeah, it's. No one would give, no one would give you this. Even Jimmy Page wouldn't give you that gig. And uh, <laughs> uh, probably Jimmy Page would ask you. So, have you done any drugs in your life? Uh, yeah, have some problems. Yeah, you're out. Yeah. Right. Although, but you aren't Jimmy Page. Probably you've done drugs, right? But yeah, but I'm Jimmy Page. Exactly. 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 Man. He is who he is. I don't think there is any serious musician out there nowadays that. He actually wants to get somewhere and have lead this kind of life. This kind of exists only in movies and in the movies. Yeah. But like you said, it's, I, I know musicians who do that still and they think because of this, like the, the glamorization of movies or like what we thought the 80s yeah. were like, with like Motley Crue and whoever. But people now are, it's kind of sad when you see people like young musicians who mm -hmm. think they, ha not, you know, of course there are people who, who genuinely are addicts and it is a disease, but then you have people who, think they have to behave like rock stars yeah. and end up just screwing themselves over. For the image of the thing. Exactly, for the uh, image. Also, yes, it's the image, but it's also something else which if I haven't lived in Greece, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known. Um, if you go to Greece and someone is a singer, mm. by the time he comes around the corner, you see him just, or see her around the corner, you'd be like that person is a singer. Uh, the reason is that he, they over overacting, they're overselling what they are. Okay. Right. Um, either ju either justified or unjustified, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the same thing doesn't really happen here. Okay. You could be sitting in a pub, Adrian Smith probably is drinking a pint next to you, and you don't. You know. got no idea. You don't. Yeah. You got no idea. Right? Exactly. As it happened in one meeting. Well, a few friends of mine went down there and they were drinking a pint of Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, and then you're thinking, why do people do that? The more uh, defensive is the environment, the more you have to support and create your own reality to survive. I think that's my, that's my explanation. For example, uh, if, if in Greece you say to someone, uh, what's your job? What are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm singing. <laughs> 
What, they don't believe you or they just... They, they just don't believe you, there's no such profession. It's like, come on, you're joking. Really? Right. So you have to defend yourself. And how can you defend yourself by making this as looking looking the part more than actually you need? Okay, so that's when you exaggerate it and you make the bigger movements. Exactly. Bigger I think, personality. I think it, yeah, it, it kind of hides that big insecurity, but at the same time, it's that defensive mechanism before you go crazy. So is it like increases it? Um... And the same thing happens here as well, but I see it on a smaller scale, mainly because, you know, London is the place you can see big musicians and... You know. Yeah, definitely. People yeah. come to London but and it's like music battle. Preserving whatever that lifestyle means to you, either mm -hmm. it's drugs, alcohol, or it's flashy clothes or whatever, is some sort of defensive mechanism where you trying to do what you really want to do mm -hmm. while the rest of the world is telling you not to. And I think when you when it kind of initiates that rebellious streak in you sometimes, yeah. it can be a good thing. Um, like I was listening to, to a podcast with Rob Zombie on the Joe Rogan show and he was saying, uh, Rob Zombie was like, yeah, when I was a kid at school, I got bullied all the time because... I think I've watched that. Have you seen it? And he, yeah. he talks about how like, he was bullied for like the way he looked and everything. And they say to him, so do you wish you hadn't got bullied? Are you anti-bullying? And he was like, hell no, man. If you get bullied, it makes you full of hate. Yeah. And then you hate those people and you want to prove to those people, hey, you know what? I can do this. Yeah. And that was his philosophy, like, because he wants to prove it to someone. That's exactly what it is, yeah. You know? So you kind of dress like the way that you want to dress to provoke people, or you might go in and have like 10 pints in a, in a pub and create and make a fuck, you know, yeah. in a casino, whatever. So all this kind of, I think, drags come back to that. Yeah. Come back to, I mean, for the reason that you said, right? There are so many other ways, other, other reasons. But I think when you want to, protect yourself and uh, pre pretend to be a rock star. You've got to make yourself believe it. Mm. And you need to sort of, you know, exaggerate that kind of sort of... Fake it till you make it. Fake it, fake <laughs> it till you make it, exactly, yeah. And that's one of the reasons people kind of tune in with these kinds of things. If the lifestyle was different, they certainly would have done something else, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it kind of comes from, an, from a really in a place of in a need, let's say like, I don't know, traumatic experience because of bad childhood mm. or, you know, because abuse and, and when you were a kid or whatever. That's why you see a lot of people that they almost have solved the, the problems of their life financially and still doing drugs. Like, why are you doing drugs? Yeah. It comes from a different... Well, James Hetfield was saying on the, the 30th anniversary of when Cliff Burton died, uh, 30 years later, he went back into rehab that day. And like Lars was interviewed about it, and he was like, "Yeah, man, it's mm. thirty years since Cliff died. He's never really gotten over it, and he just he, he went downhill." And then like people on social media were like, "Oh my God! Like James Hetfield, you got millions of dollars. How can you be drinking and, and depressed yeah. and doing drugs?" And it's like, "Well, that's his job. It doesn't mean he doesn't yeah, yeah. do all this stuff." Um, Perspective is such a difficult thing, man. As a Definitely. To be to to get be in somebody else's shoes is uh, it's tough. Take takes a lot. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about it for hours, but uh, when it's time for you to do it, it's it's very very difficult. Like, uh, yeah, man, it's it's very difficult to think even even when you're really angry, what the other person is thinking. Mm. And, and the one thing that I kind of agree with uh, with something I've heard in, a, in another podcast is that. Uh, if you put in the same room people of completely different beliefs without labels, you'll see that they find a way of actually agreeing more than disagreeing. Okay. Uh, rather than taking 
sides. Mm-hmm. You see yeah. what I mean? No, yeah, definitely. Which is amplified a little bit from social media because you, know, you don't be know in the room and you go right anonymously. Yeah, you go right, make a comment somewhere. But uh, keyboard warriors. Yeah, yeah but if you put those two people in the same room, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they would be more friends than enemies by the end of the day. Definitely. Backpedaling a little bit, one thing I was going to ask you, because we were talking about the image and obviously drugs and the lifestyle and everything. When you, I don't know if it applies to rock music, maybe more so than others, I don't know, but when you go on stage as as the singer, as the guitar player yeah. of Jade Vine, or, or whatever gig it is, yeah. do you feel like you sort of put on a, a different persona? Like, you know, for some people it's like, when they, like for me, if I put on like a bandana and I'm doing a rock gig, for me that's a mental thing of like, Okay, this is on. I'm doing this gig, and you you put a different personality on. Do you have a a thing like that that you do? Or yeah, you... yeah, definitely. I to the point that I don't know if I'm doing it like consciously nowadays, but I think that the personality of who I am on stage has tuned in so much of where I am that I am the same person now. Okay, so you sort of merged. <laughs> yeah, into I one. think that probably one of the one of the role. I believe that everyone's playing a little bit of a role, mm. right? Even if you think that you're yourself, probably you're not. But I can recognize it from a different perspective. I can see myself from the outside, and I definitely have tuned in. You have this, the same person that I, you see in stage is the same person that you see here, and that's probably it, it's sometimes a problem. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a obviously you know really close friends. They do realize that. You know, sometimes that person with this person is different, slightly different, like because mm-hmm. they know you in the everyday life. Yeah, of course. So you go to the toilet, or you know, that sort of thing. And you behave differently around different yeah. people. Yeah, obviously, what you're like. Yeah, well, that's the point. I don't think I behave too differently nowadays. Okay. Uh, and I'm not quite sure how that, uh, if that's sometimes a good thing or a bad thing. Did it used to be different then? Like, were you like more arrogant? No, I kind of. I was now. I was. I think was saying pretty much the same person. Yeah, but the thing is that the music and me in music kind of became who I am. Okay. So, so just merged. That's why I think one of the professions I, I would never be able to do is uh, being an actor, even for fun. Because you would just. I mean, me. Okay. <laughs> just I, I'm not saying it in the sense of originality. Okay. No, but I know what you mean. I'm you... playing myself so much. You just be like the one that, like you, you can I do can one play character. Myself, probably. You could do one in a movie of your life. You can play you, but no other role. No, no one else. <laughs> exactly, because I tune in so much in what I thought would be my role. Okay. Which uh, I don't think I can play any other role. Not, and again, I'm not saying it from a perspective of originality. Mm-hmm. No, right? I I'm not saying oh, I'm so original that I can only be me. No, I'm saying that the role that I've chosen to play mm. has become so much me Definitely. that it's me now. That's interesting, yeah. So yeah, I it's it, it's a realization, and I, I it needs a lot of guts to get out of it, and I find sometimes freedom when um when I'm back home. Mm. When you go back to Greece, like, yeah, you, yeah, you feel right. like a different when, not back or? to Greece as a country, back home. Back home. <laughs> back home oh, as, as my as the place where I grew up. Okay. When I'm back in the island, I'm probably probably the closest you can find, I'm closest to myself. Do you just feel like because you're more relaxed, or it's like nostalgia, or yeah, because I because none of the stuff that I do matter uh-huh. at all. So you know, I see my the friends that I grew up with, and they they, they don't even know, they don't even care what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I absolutely understand. Yeah. I mean, like I'm same if I say a childhood friend, and 
doesn't matter if one of you's, I don't know, working in Tesco's or working in a bank or doing music. It's like that, it doesn't matter because we've known each other since we were five. Yeah. And no one cares. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you actually, because obviously you're sort of known as the um, the rock guy now. Yeah. But you were telling me like you had classical training as well. Yeah. Studied, well, started when I was 15, I think. Okay. Yeah. We, we're going to wrap up soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, started when I was 15 and I um, went up to the point where I was uh, 23, I suppose. Okay. Uh, I did want to have classical training. It's not something <laughs> that I chose in a way that I was attracted to. I could obviously, you know, feel great when I, I was practicing something which, you know, a classical piece. Oh, um, talking about guitar or vocals? Guitar and vocals. Guitar and vocals. Yeah, yeah. But because it was, the system in Greece is based on classical music and okay. contemporary music is not even um, sort of, you know, you can't graduate from the school of conservatoire. It's not, I mean, nowadays you do, but it's not right, rather official. Okay. So, whenever it goes down the classical way, if they want to be, uh, if they want to be teaching or do something else, mm. apart from that. And I, I got into it and I did like seven, seven to eight years, seven years of studies. Wow, it's intense. Yeah, intense. So, I did classical guitar, um, classical singing, uh, high theory, harmony, counterpoint, arrangement for, for our orchestra and fugue. And I think that's about it. I have a wall. <laughs> that's a lot. Though, I have it? a wall full of full of stuff. Of everything. Of everything I've done. Yeah, of everything I've done, and quite a lot. And a but I never felt part of this world though. I always different. wanted to play rock music. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't, man. And a, and that's another another thing that I I believe that people should should be should discover what really speaks to them. Yeah. I'd say it doesn't matter if you're classical music, classical music, if you're, it's all music, but what speaks to you, man? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, obviously, open up your ears and suck in everything you can, listen from jazz to wherever, mm -hmm. like East, East, like Indian music, whatever, or whatever, African music, whatever you want to listen yeah. to. But what really speaks to you when you want to talk back? Why is it going to be? You see what I mean? Yeah. I think that's, that's what you should choose. And to me, the, Rock music always spoke to me as a kid until now. I don't want to talk another language necessarily. I want to play other styles and I have. Mm -hmm. And but I enjoy doing that. Yeah, that's your chosen but, one, isn't but it? But when I want to create music, it's what, what I like to do. And it's like, as you were saying, like it, what speaks to you and now you're the person when you're releasing albums, you're speaking to other people. So when you put a new song out and the lyrics you write, or yeah. the guitar parts or whatever, and suddenly that hits someone who's maybe never heard rock music before, and they're like, oh wow, this is, and it can just be a game changer, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they say, oh, rock music is dead, or this music is dead, this music is dead. No, nothing is dead. No. If you're not listening to music, probably you're dead. But <laughs> the chances are that, like, a little, like, we've all been in a room, a kid walks in, sits in the chair, says, are you listening to music? You go, no. And dad and mum don't play any music at home. I'm like, cool. Why are you here? Because they want me to be here. Cool. And you just grab a guitar, you go, bah, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. and they go, what is that? I want to learn it. <laughs> then how do you describe that? Yeah. Right? Of course music is not dead. I mean, not, not rock music is not dead. I mean, nothing is dead, really. But like, as soon as there are people out there, they're going to go, I want to, oh, I want to listen to that. 
And you see that in really young generations that go, I want to learn that That's my favourite moment teaching when they're like, oh, have you heard this stuff? And you just play them Led Zeppelin or something, or like, you know, or Deep Purple yeah. or whatever it is. And they're like, oh my, and you just see their face drop. Like, yeah. What the hell is this? You're like, welcome. Like, exactly. Well, <laughs> you're never leaving now. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the same thing happens with a lot of artists from different other genres. And again, we go back to the beginning where maybe from artists, like an artist from Japan, that we will never ever hear in our mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. And people are just, you know, don't you know that guy? Yeah. And the same thing should be for poetry. Same thing should be for anything that has to do with arts. Uh, it's relative success and, it, and, and it's and what it, speaks to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, starting to wrap up now. The last question to you is what project are you currently working on? If you can yes. talk about it. Yes, I can talk about it. Okay. Finally. It's a, well, <laughs> I think I've told you about this project, but I haven't It's a, when I was growing up in the 90s, when I started listening to a lot of rock music, the, there was the only one big period that. The only not big period. The only one period in, in the history of, of of the life in in the music life in Greece mm-hmm. that rock music became big in Greece, but not but Greek sort of a uh, Greek rock music with Greek lyrics. Okay. Right. Always big rock rock music was from the eighties and on the seventies and massive in Greece, but with with Greek lyrics it was more like a joke at that point. People didn't okay. take it that seriously. But in the 90s, it was this boom of, of bands and everything, you know, from the past and the present, and, you know, as they became massive. So when I was growing up, I was listening as much to rock music from, you know, the States and the UK, mm-hmm. but as well from Greece. And one of the bands I was listening to, was where there were two or three bands that were, you know, massive, like mm-hmm. the Rolling Stones and the Beatles here, yeah. was this band called Games on Fire. Games on Fire. Games on Fire, they have, they have taken the name from a Brian Eno song. Cool. Yeah, it was a massive fight. That's <laughs> Brian. And there's a bar, Brian's got some babe, babe, the babes on fire. Okay. And then the two kids then become sort of in Greece. Is a little bit. It sounds a little bit better to be fair. It sounds a little bit more sort of you know babes on fire here. It could be like chicks on fire. Anyway, all right, you know what I mean. That's sort of thing. But it's, it was babes on fire. Okay. Uh, so that was one of the biggest bands, and they still are. They go. They're going strong from the like 1987 till now. Okay, and right. probably now they're going through this period that they're even bigger than ever. Okay. So they're playing big shows. I won't say big shows now, don't get crazy like uh, for the rock and uh, sort of mm. audience in Greece, which is already a very small audience, it would be like playing the biggest venues they can play. But it's relative success, like we said at the start. It's massive it's, success. Yeah. You think like they're playing like full clubs of six hundred, seven hundred people. This that's massive success. Yeah. Uh, the the can't play stadiums because that music is not as big there. Okay. Not, I mean, uh, even Anton John probably nothing would probably would be <laughs> yeah. you know would be that big. But I'm yeah, saying yeah. that re- it's it's they just you know still legal success. So the main guy and the only guy that kind of is responsible for that. The main guy Salvador was his name, his nickname. He's a he's decided to start doing some shows abroad. But not only that, but remake the first album that made them successful uh, and do that in English as well with English lyrics at some point and I'm part of this project I'm happy to be part of this project so we are recording uh, we're recording the Friar Studios and my good friend Hugh Neal who set up uh, and they met somewhere in Milton Keynes close to Milton Keynes and we are recording pretty much every three months like a few songs Mm -hmm. which are going to be released 
the first one, the first LP is going to be released this uh, in a couple of months in okay. Greece. Nice. And then worldwide we will do the English lyrics and everything, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so constant recording and at the same time arrange a show. So we start with a London show cool. uh, and on the 5th of March. 5th of March. We play 93, uh, 93 feet down, I think it's called something like in a, in Brick Lane. It's a, it's a club. Oh, yeah, I know I know the place, man. Yeah, yeah it's a big venue. It's yeah. a big venue. We're playing that. Yeah, nice, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, on the 5th of March. And uh, it's going to be beat, it's going to be Babis, Marius and myself. So Jake Vine, essentially. Okay. Uh, they, but really... Uh, playing this concert of fair. It's almost it's a bit sophisticated punk rock, let's okay. say. Was it you called them I think the Clash of The Clash of Greece, yeah. I think it's such a great name. Yeah, yeah, that's what they the Clash of Greece. So they, they are as big as that in Greece and they wow. and they have big audience here. Yeah, I mean big audience again relatively small compared to everything else, but if we could have like two hundred or three hundred people in that venue it would be great. Yeah. And then we start touring around Europe perhaps and do a few more dates in the UK. And at the moment we're doing that because with Jake Vine, we don't have time to do much now, mm. and the we have so many bills to pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Being a dad and <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. and a lot of other things. So um, until so until we feel the edge to get to do to do something, I think uh, we're really happy doing this kind of sort of thing, playing in front of a big audience, bigger audience than this one we had, and. Um, and relatively still being very creative because we, we I mean uh, we're living the dream now because we played something that we were listening when we were 17 yeah. that's crazy what yeah. a weird circle that's come because when, when I met with with the main guy and they, um, he was like he's, he was for me he was like I knew him but I didn't it's like a childhood hero when you were like yeah. oh my god like oh, yeah, this <laughs> guy is here you know flesh and blood but, uh, but then you get that oh, like he starts asking you stuff about music and you start having conversations like we have and then you realise, oh my god, how great is that? Just another dude. Speaking there, that's speaking the language of music man, it's just it goes beyond nah, beyond yeah. everything. I think that's a good a good way to finish this, is that it's so rewarding sometimes. Yeah. Uh, in in many ways, right? That obviously for me was really rewarding, but I've been I've played in pubs where People kind of sort of we start communicating with people that I would have never thought, you know, and any even in my wildest dreams, I would, not famous people, like ordinary people that yeah, they yeah. kind of sort of they're there and they enjoy and having a pint. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm here, I'm from Argentina and I'm doing this and this and that. I'm great, man. I like your music, good, you know, and they start hanging out. That's yeah, yeah. that thing is Definitely. what it's all about, I think, when you're a musician. If you, if you can't leave that, then it kind of it's a bit sad. Yeah, definitely, man. No, man, thanks so much for doing the interview. No problem, it's been man. really great. Really Pleasure, anytime. Thanks, man. Thanks. Cool, that wasn't too long, was it? No, it's good, man. I mean, it's it's all kind of relative, to be honest. Yeah. 